Welcome back to another episode of Recap, the podcast where we talk about the latest news featured on our social media page. Uh, this is the news that we find that matters most to our voters, and we encourage legislators to not only listen, but to also act on what you hear or on what they hear. I'm your host, Joshua Hyde, and with me is our analyst, Alex Crohanan, and our writer and host of Smart Politics, Anthony Arnold. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, man. Excited to be back. We've been off for like a little over a month, so I'm ready. Good. I'm not. No. <laughs> <laughs> not excited, uh, buddy. I mean, fatherhood's uh, it's a hell of a drug, man. Yes, it is. I forgot. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. That's everybody. Right. Everybody can play Alex. He's now a new lately, father. So, yeah, I've just been playing video games. So I've been looking forward. Ah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I have too. Just to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Let's get to business. Anthony, how are we doing on our polls? Well, uh, we're doing good here, man. So about a week ago, we had a poll about uh, healthcare. So the story was an example of somebody who had gone to the emergency room with their son. Um, so there was a long story about, you know, the, maybe the coverage was not what it should have been. And the question we asked at the end was, do you believe that a nationalized healthcare system will eliminate uh, racial disparity and ensure that all patients receive equal care? And no one in the comment section seems to think that was the solution. And I wanted to highlight it because there's not always such unanimity, uniformity in our answers. But it seems I know all three of us answered saying that we didn't think it would solve it. And some of our listeners said the same thing. And it really highlights that there's obviously a policy part of trying to solve racial disparities, but it seems most of us believe that the solution is going to have to come from, from people, from us, from the culture, which is a much more difficult thing to change. Um, and I really just wanted to highlight that because it, we can't get so much in the weeds when we talk about how to solve racial gaps that we forget that on some level, people's hearts and minds and feelings, how we treat each other on a really basic level have to change because, you know, if the people administering your nationalized healthcare system have bad things inside of them, if they have these racist feelings inside of them, they're probably going to build that in to some degree. So, you know, I just thought that was really interesting how sort of from across the political spectrum, even here, you know, we, we range from, you know, left or center, left, center. No one across the political spectrum, at least among our group, seems to think that nationalized healthcare alone would be enough to solve this racial disparity. So I thought that was really interesting. I wanted to highlight it. I agree. I think that uh, that was one of the first things that surprised me when I, because I know I hopped on uh, responding to that pretty late. Um, a lot of people had already, you know, given, given their thoughts before I had done it. And we were all, like you said, pretty much in agreement that that's, that's not the end of it. Like there would be, there would be a whole lot more needed, uh, in order to address that issue. And I I honestly believe that they're two separate issues entirely. Uh, and that, that's part of what I put in my response is that, you know, it's it's not going to happen just through nationalized healthcare. Although I do believe that might help to some degree. Um, but either way. That's a, yeah, that, that was a very interesting poll. There was a lot of engagement on that. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for bringing that up, Brian. Alex. So that time of the, that time of the week again. Yes. Let's, let's talk about the trends, bud. Um, well, it's, uh, 
it's that time of the week again, and we we talk about COVID now, um, yep. and forever, like that now, today, tomorrow, forever. Um, so uh, around the world, we uh, we have topped thirty five million cases, with one million dead, a little over. In the USA, where we're still leading, number one globally, we have. We have to say we have seven million three hundred and ten thousand six hundred twenty-five cases around the around the country, uh, with fifty thousand added today, um, with three hundred one thousand five hundred thirty-nine added this week. Oh no! We are currently totaling uh, two hundred and eight thousand one hundred eighteen deaths. Eight hundred and sixteen of those being today. So uh, around the world, let's say we'll take a take a step back and go back to the global picture for a moment. And um, if current trends continue, India is set to partake overtake the United States in total number of cases in the next few weeks. Really? Yes. Yeah. We're gonna say they've. Um, for, I mean, so not only is their population, you know, four times what ours is, but also they are um, they're having under. They are undergoing a lot of ethnic and political tensions, uh, especially um, with uh, armed conflict with China on their northern border. And that's all, like, all that unrest is really leading to uh, a surge, like, a surge in cases. Additionally, that you you might view, might have heard maybe uh, that the president, the first lady, three Republican senators, and many other members of the White House have all confirmed positive COVID nineteen results over the past uh, seventy two hours. Yep. That's actually, um, obviously given that that's kind of has to be one of the biggest deals in the nation. Um, that's a, that's where a good amount of, uh, our recent, um, articles and such on the, on the Facebook page are actually trending is, is involving all the people who we now know either through Trump or otherwise have been, um, confirmed, not even just, you know, subjected to like confirmed positive, uh, for COVID-19. So obviously you mentioned Trump, uh, a couple members of the Supreme Court, um, but this, I, there's a lot of people like in higher positions who like even go past, uh, you know, the White House. We, we know the, the president of Notre Dame is uh, confirmed positive. The governor of uh, North Carolina is confirmed positive. Although I think one of the things I want to go ahead and highlight, and this is a couple articles down, if you look into the, the, the Facebook page now, is that the White, Ho- the White House protocol regarding the virus actually has not changed, even though all these people are now positive. Yes. What's your take? What's your guys' take on that? I I was quite surprised to hear that myself. So it's pro. I might. It's a matter of optics, right? It would look bad for and really undermine the past six months of uh, of uh, narrative for the Republican White House to suddenly uh, decide to take it seriously. And then every, like, then because then the Republican states would have to follow suit and they don't want to do that. Yeah. That's my take. That's, so that's part of this. But, you know, this just came out 45 minutes ago. Biden is also planning on moving moving forward with in-person campaigning, which... So I wanted to bring that up because I I don't want this to sound overly partisan. I'm baffled by his decision here, just like I'm baffled by the White House, like ignoring what's good public health because of optics, like you mentioned, Alex. I it, I'm I'm confused here. 
with what we know about the virus, inside of the first three or four days, you can actually test negative despite having it because the load in your body may not show up in the test. This is really well understood by, by scientists, but I don't know if the general public is aware of this, that you may not test positive inside of like five or six days. Um, so if Biden was potentially exposed, say on Tuesday, he could still be testing negative today or Thursday, despite actually having it. Combine that with the rising caseload we're seeing in a bunch of different states, the case for in-person campaigning seems really uh, yeah. non-existent. So we seem to have both political parties here, uh, both nominees are acting in really irresponsible ways here. <laughs> this is crazy. I mean, it's, it's legitimately insane that they're both, that the White House isn't responding and that the Biden campaign is just not going to uh, give up in-person campaigning. It's irresponsible. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty grotesque, actually. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, I, I suppose there are, there are ways that you could go about doing in-person meeting, like meetings and meet and greets, um, while maintaining, you know, like you can maintain masks. Like I, I suppose I'm willing to postpone judgment immediately until we see that. But yeah, that's, some. Um, that's still pretty grotesque. For sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of Corona, though, uh, we recently received information involving Amazon, an industry giant, and how many people in their workforce that since the pandemic began have either, you know, tested positive or been presumed positive. Um, that number is over 19,000 of uh, their 1 million, I believe, 500 thousand workforce have been affected positive now one thing that the the article that brings us up states is that if we were using the same um numbers in terms of the general populace uh they you know the number of employees affected should be around 33,000, not 19. So I think the idea is that they are like doing well by keeping that number lower than the general populace. Although 19,000 people still seems like a lot to me. Yeah. So Jobs I, like that that require close contact are going to be difficult. It's going to be hard for people to get back to work. I don't think we've really grappled with this totally yet. I agree. Um, now I'd be real interested to know, um, how, what's the geographic breakdown of all of those cases? Um, you know, is there a single location that, that is just clearly being mismanaged in some way? Um, or are they more evenly distributed and math? Right. Uh, the article doesn't go into detail about all the over 600 locations that they have. However, um, the company in general has made over 150 changes to their general processes to help combat the spread of COVID while they work. Unfortunately, we have no idea what any of those things are. So this article feels to me like Amazon's trying to save face, but like, I, I just can't get over that number. Like I'm looking at I mean, I know they've got like over 1 million workers. So like in, in comparison to like their total workforce, yeah, that's not very big, but like it still feels like a lot to me. Yeah, but I mean, the law of large numbers, right? Like just right. math. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This whole, I know way back when I think Corona first came up months ago, I know on this podcast, I think we had a discussion about math just the math of the thing gets away from you. 
I think it's why a lot of people didn't anticipate the worst, the worst case scenario sounded so remote and impossible to people because they said, like, how could 350,000 people never die in the United States? You go, well, the math. <laughs> the math catches up to you. And now here we are. 350,000 seems eminently reasonable. That, that seems that seems optimistic. <laughs> That's a yeah. very optimistic number. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, yeah. like, so this, like, this is the thing, um, and this is just, uh, like, a human, co- like, cognizance, like, if I say, like, a dozen, you're like, oh, like, 12, like, 12 objects, I can visualize that, and I can yeah. think about it. If I say 100 objects, you're like, wow, 100, that's a lot, I can kind of imagine what that's like. If I say 20,000 to you, you're like, yeah. 20,000, it's a big number, but I don't really... Like, there's nothing that you can picture of, like, yeah, that's 20,000. Yep. And um, that kind of abstraction, and like, this is a part, like a failure of like human, uh, the way we think, that abstraction, like, you know, 20,000 is the low end. If I say a million, you're like, I have no idea what that number yep. looks like. And so then 100 million, you have no idea what that number looks like. Yeah, it's all just foreign to the brain. That makes sense. It, all those numbers, like, all those numbers can just like, because they're so large that you have no frame of reference, you're like, yep, that's a large number. That's why when we're talking about these things, I, I wish sometimes it would be broken down a little bit better for people. So if you imagine, uh, if, if you know, we're at 8 million cases, if you imagine we were to get to 10 million cases in this country, you go, you know, in a country of 300 million, uh, if you just kind of divide that, you go, that means, you know, one out of every, what, 30 or something? Like, yeah, I think, I think that's how that shakes down in my head. Yeah. Like one in like, 30 actually, people have COVID-19 right now. Right, right. So you go like, think about 30 people you know. One of them will probably get this. Like it's, it's only one or two jumps removed from you. And when you start breaking it down to smaller numbers, I think it becomes easier for people to imagine that it's really closer to you than you think. I think this was what people always said about the Spanish flu. By the time the numbers sort of got big, you realize everybody knew somebody because that's how it works. I, I personally know at least two people who've had it. Young people, people in their 30s around my age, um, who've had it and had to quarantine. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. As these numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger, you probably know somebody or two somebodies or three somebodies. I'd say at this point, most of the people that I know of, and myself included, um, like you said, no people who've contracted it, no people who've lost people because yep. of it. Like it's, it's something that has invaded the daily life of everyone that I interact with. But I also, I know of a lot of people who are still believing that this is a hoax. We're not even yep. going to get into that. That's a, that's a conversation for another day. Speaking of another conversation, uh, one of the last things I wanted to highlight, it was uh, one of the most interesting things I've ever read actually. Um, and it's, it's the story of, um, I'm probably going to say this wrong, uh, Ross Coop, um, who was uh, basically an escaped slave in Louisiana back in the day, back in the 1800s. And is the, the article itself, and th- this, we, we can have like a brief discussion about this, but I mostly just wanted to highlight it uh, because I think it's definitely something worth reading. And if you haven't already seen it on the Facebook page, definitely check it out. This is if you're if you're curious about why it's always seemed that black people seem to be so notoriously against police or that we've always tried to let people know that police have had an issue with us this kind of breaks down the history of the police department and 
kind of why this is written into the fabric of our society. It, like I said, it goes over the history of, of this escaped slave and basically how the police created media around him to vilify him and then obviously uh, allow them to do what they eventually did was shoot him dead in the swamp. And so I, I wanted to share this to anyone who's listening. Uh, definitely check it out. You, you should be able to see it, you know, not that's going too far down the, the page if you're, if you're listening to this shortly after it's released. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very important cautionary tale about how these things happen, why they happen, I'll definitely share it on my page. You guys can share it on your pages as well, just so that way we can get more reach for this article specifically. Because again, I think it's very worth reading and it speaks to a lot of the things currently happening in America today. Um, but it's it the gist of it is how when something happens to anyone, specifically black people um, in America by the police, there is a very intentional vilification of that person usually through like, oh, they had some kind of drug charge or, you know, he's a convicted felon or whatever, as if that gives them a reason to have died. So definitely give it a read. I, I won't I won't say too much because I, I want it, I want your experience with it to be fresh. If you guys haven't read it in in the podcast right now, definitely give it a read after we're done recording here. <laughs> but it's it's like I said, it, it's probably one of the most impactful things I've ever read and helps to very succinctly bring to light something that we've known has been happening for quite some time. But I know a lot of other people who don't quite understand the issue that especially African-Americans have with the police in our nation and gives it wonderful. It, it's, it's absolutely wonderful and definitely worth a read. So definitely check it out here. Let me, let me go ahead and give you the exact name of it. Cause I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to lead you astray. Um, but the, uh, the, the legend of, um, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, uh, Brass Coop, how yeah. police turned a black man into a villain to save themselves. There we go. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Thank by you USA today. Again, definitely worth your watch or your read. So definitely check that out. But uh, that's all we got here from PointCast today. Again, this was Josh, Anthony, and Alex from the PointCast team. One thing I will be remiss in saying is this podcast is brought to you in part by El Yag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and of course, PointCast News. To listen to any of our other podcasts, please go visit our website at pointcast.news, or of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and follow us on our Facebook page, and I've talked a lot about that today. There's a lot of interesting, interesting things worth reading definitely go check that out thank you all for listening today and you all have a great rest of your day josh out